0: I've been... Uh, it's actually through Angie that I learned about the work of Charles Gaines and uh, that I had uh, the pleasure to see his uh, his participation at the last Venice Biennial, not O'Quiz, but... Uh, no, it's O'Quiz. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and where I really fell in love with, uh, with the poetry within the very strong politics that he has created over his long career of, uh, of practice. And it's true another friend, I'm really blessed with very good friends who direct me to, to uh, great artists. And it's actually true, Thomas who's here in the, in, the, in the audience that I heard about my Barbarian and uh, that I, I sort of uh, got into uh, understanding what, what their practice is. So really, thank you very much, Angie, for doing that. Thank you, Charles, for being here. Thank you, Malik and Alex, for being here. And I think I don't need to introduce all of you. I mean, you are all superstars. Everybody knows you here. <laughs> But uh, if you want, I can read very briefly about who you are. Unji was most recently the artistic director of the fifth Anyang Public Art Project in Anyang, in Korea. She served as the Keith Haring Director and creator of education and public programs at the New Museum in New York between 2027 uh, to 20. I'm trying to say this 20 thing, it's always very difficult. I'm stuck in 19-something. <laughs> <laughs> so, where she spearheaded the Museum as hub program, commissioned the monthly seminar Night School, and NG curated also in 2012 New Museum Generational Triennial, The Ungovernables and served as the commissioner for the Korean Pavilion at the 53rd Venice Biennial in 2009. She received her doctorate from the Department of Ethnic Studies at the University of California in Berkeley. Charles Gaines' work consists of photographs, drawings, and works on paper that investigate how rules-based procedures construct order and meaning. Over his long career, he has had over 70 solo shows and over 100 group exhibitions in the U.S. and Europe. His work has recently been featured in major group exhibitions, including The Freedom Principle, the 50 s- 56 Venice Biennial, Prospect Tree in New Orleans, and the Montreal Biennial. Charles has taught since the 1970s, mentoring generations of artists living and working in Los Angeles and elsewhere. He received a John Simon Guggenheim Memorial Foundation Fellowship in 2013. Mali Gaines is an artist and writer based in New York. His forthcoming book, Black Performance on the Outskirts of the Left, traces a circulation of Of black political ideas in performance of the 1960s and beyond. Gaines has performed and exhibited extensively with the group My Barbarian, whose work has been presented at the Museum of Modern Art, at the New Museum, at the Studio Museum in Harlem, at the Kitchen, at the Whitney Museum of American Art, and many other venues. He was included in the 2014 Whitney Biennial, two California biennials, two performer biennials, the Montreal Biennial biennial and the Baltic Triennial. He is assistant professor of performance studies at Tisch School of Arts at New York University. Alex Segarde is an interdisciplinary artist based in New York. His multimedia science fiction performances explore queer futurity and have been presented at Red Cat, and LaxArt in Los Angeles and other major centers across the United States. Since 2001, Alex has worked in the collective My Barbarian on video, performance, and exhibition projects at the new museum, Museum of Modern Art, The Kitchen, Participant Incorporated, Performer, 2005 and 2007, the 2014 Whitney Biennial, amongst others. Alex and Malik Malik have also collaborated on projects at the Studio Museum in in Harlem, at MoMA PS1, Performa 13, and the Armory Pasadena. Segade's writing has been published in Yale Theatre Journal and Art Forum. He is co-chair of the Film Video Department at the Milton Ivory Graduate School of Arts at Bard College. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having us today, Koyo. It's really a pleasure to bring these great artists together who I've had the pleasure of working with uh, both in, in various ways over maybe the last 15, heading towards 20 years. Mm-hmm. We were so young and so cute then.
2: <laughs>
1: we're still cute, but we were, we we're, were right. young too. We we're
3: so cute. We've ripened.
1: We were, we've matured.
2: <laughs> I was old then.
1: <laughs>
3: we just didn't know it.
1: But I, I thought it was a great opportunity. Um, for one, because uh, uh, we could get Charles to come to New York, and the rest of us are based here. And on the occasion that the 154 Contemporary African Art Fair is here, you know, in in New York, it's uh, I think important to bring together practitioners who, uh, even though we can all get here to New York, actually I think the work is not based in New York. Uh, The work really grew out of practices that were uh, developed in California, and therefore have a slightly different trajectory of development. Mm -hmm. And maybe even um, the way artists were and are still able to produce work uh, in a, say, larger landscape. the influences and the interdisciplinary and uh, problematically cross-cultural even influences that we have in, on the West Coast are quite different than here. Um, so I thought you know, this is also maybe a unique conversation that we could have. I thought it would be best to start with a little introduction. I mean, I don't want to assume that people know Charles's work or my barbarian's work, because you know, there's a lot of stuff out there in the world. Um, so I think each of them is going to, I don't know who's going to go first, but each of them is going to give you a little bit of context of their practice to start, and then we're going to go into a discussion and try to involve you in that discussion a bit. Charles, you want
3: to go first here? Oh, there yeah, we go. I, yeah. I couldn't figure out how to do it. Well. I can't
2: switch yeah. it, so <laughs> <laughs> just do yours, and know, then we'll figure <laughs> it out. Yeah, we weren't sure who's going to go first, but my slides are up first, so that's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, What I, I'm going to... Uh, Shows is, is one piece. Uh, this is the installation uh, at, the, at the Venice Bien- Biennale. The one uh, that was referred to in my intro. Uh, it's a t- work that's titled uh, "Sound Text" and that is made up of uh, a four triptychs. As, as you can see, this is the this, this is the installation shot. Uh, uh, so, the, my uh, this work. Is part of a body of work that I started probably about seven years ago. Uh, it started as an uh, uh, as an idea to to um, to introduce or bring in um, political text w- within a, 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 what we'll say an affective or an aesthetic framework. Uh, so the the, the, st- the structure of the piece is based upon combining, uh, well, it's gonna be combining music and text, but the way that the music and text is combined is, is really just the basis of the work. Uh, what I did was that I uh, researched and found four political uh, texts, and I'm not gonna remember each one right now. Uh, uh, and, uh, and so I, I selected other, these political texts, and they were uh, and tra- traditionally manifestos, but not exclusively manifestos. So I selected them, and these texts tend to be pr- pretty long. How much time I got to make sure I don't over. Don't worry, we'll it? kick yeah. you off. Yeah, so yeah, you just kick me out. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I selected uh, from that. Um, uh, uh, I selected these political texts, I selected from them a, a certain, uh, a certain number of words, and and I translated the letters of those uh, of those uh, of the text into musical notation. So the, so the the system. Uh, that I used translated uh, the letters A through G that we find in the alphabet into the notes A through G. Uh, And I also included uh, the letter H. Uh, I translated the H as B flat, the note B flat. And this comes from an old Baroque tradition that, that, unfortunately, I mean, this whole idea of translating notation uh, letters or uh, text into notation was not my idea. It was something an idea that existed long time ago, and uh, uh, and and in fact, the H to B flat is, is a result. I mean, the reason that is is, is that it's a tradition uh, uh, that developed to honor the the Bach brothers. And so, H to B B flat was testimony to them. Mm. The uh, 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 so. I, tra- I translated the, the, letter, the letter by letter, um, and as you know, the alphabet contains more than the letters A through G, or even A through H in this case. So the the, the letters of the, of the alphabet that, that are not using musical notation became b- a silent beats or rests, in in the composition, I wrote this. I wrote these things out as as musical scores, and uh, then that that musical score was then uh, given to a composer friend of mine who helps with these things, and he uh, arranged it for a, 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 a small ensemble. We we, we got a, a group um, of, of musicians, that rehearsed it, and then recorded it. Uh, now, going back to the piece, you can see that there's one of the triptychs. Um, the, the, the first um, two are, are drawings that are made from the music, from the music score that I, that I produced. The third is actually a, a, a monitor, and that monitor can, can, uh, has the scrolling text, of the of the, uh, of the manifesto that I used for the, for the piece. Now this piece is a little bit more complicated than that, than simply translating. Uh, one political text into music notation. Uh, th- than uh, the, than my previous work in this work i, I included a, a a a third document which is uh, a a, uh, a a musical score that i, I selected from my research usually uh, you know short s- songs um that had something the requirement of the search was that it had to have something to do with politics and so so i i, I selected that the one that I'm going to, uh, you're going to see a sample of that, and I don't know if this is the one. Uh, yeah, this is Deep River. In fact, in fact, this is the one that that uh, you hear a little s- uh, sample. So, th- th- so Deep River uh, is the musical, uh, is the song, and it's an old Negro spiritual. The way this works is that that the melody. Uh, 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 Should I contrast this? Maybe it's, Normally. The, the melody is produced by the random uh, accumulation of notes that's produced by the system, you know, because it follows a, uh, an arbitrary system, which is however the letters in the, in the text fall, those the, the patterns repeated in notation. And that becomes the melody. And the harmony are the chords that are produced, uh, that are produced to go along with those notes that, are, uh, that follow the melody. In this case, the melody uh, remains the musical, um, the, the, the the melody line of, of the music. In this case, is Deep River, and the harmony, which is the uh, which you see in this score, the, the bottom two lines. The top line is the melody. The bottom two in the staff is, is the harmony. Are, uh, are, are is constructed uh, from following the text, uh, following the the text, the the political text, that I think this, the political text in this piece is the Susan B. Anthony text. The relationship of the melody and and the harmony is is completely arbitrary. Uh, But you combine them and and perform them. So what you're gonna hear is what happens when you combine these two arbitrary constructions. And and, uh, we'll only perform uh, about five minutes of of a 13 minute piece. So the uh, the melody comes from the 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 spiritual. The harmony comes from the text. The what so there is a a melodic line that you hear as the melody. The harmony sounds melodic often, sometimes sounds not melodic. Uh, That's because it's following the letters. So for example, if in the in the melody there's a C major, there's a C note. uh, You know, often some related chord, like a C major chord, would, would, be, would accompany it. But the chord that I produced to accompany it would be, depend upon the text. So at that spot, if, the, if it's a B flat, then it would be a B flat major chord. It could be a B flat minor chord according to the system. Uh, so the B flat minor chord is fitted into a C note. Sometimes it sounds it sounds uh, disharmonious, but it n- nevertheless sounds Harmonic, it, it 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 sounds melodic, and I have at, at speeches and talks about this. I have difficulty, you know, you know, convincing people of that fact. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, the work is based upon systems that systems produced, as we normally think would produce something that is uh, un in unhuman, but actually, uh, you know, the the, the, the the affect that we experience in the world is, is not necessarily produced by something human in the world, it's, it's produced by our own subjectivity, uh, which uh, I was interested in proving uh, with these kinds of constructions, particularly in relation to the political text, uh, 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 principally because uh, it was a, a, a way of, uh, of producing uh, a, a kind of complexity to the reading of texts, you know, when, uh, as, you, as you read the text and you listen to the music, uh, you know, again, there is, there is a continuity, a perceived continuity, and a fact that seems intentional, but again, is completely unintentional. Uh, so thanks, Anji, thank you. <laughs>
1: Yeah, why don't
4: you can, you can check take mine that one's off? Malik needs on no mm-hmm. so Alex and I as you heard from the intros work in a a lot of different forms and very often in collaboration we've been committed to collaboration for a very long time and that maybe has something to do with the California context that Angie described um, our most widely circulated work is with the group My Barbarian which is with another collaborator Jade Gordon who still lives in LA and one of our projects that we thought we would show you today also has a system to it of a kind um, um, but I think produces pretty different work. Um, it's the Post-Living Anti-Action Theater. Um, it was uh, first devised uh, following an invitation from Njiju to do something at the, at the, take that one, <laughs> right, okay. To do something at the New Museum um, in 2008, and we, y- following the kinds of ideas of collaboration, the kinds of performance um, tactics that we developed together um, that had to do with um, queer theater, political theater, conceptual art performance, body art, all of the uh, stuff that we had sort of inherited from the generation ahead of us. Um, We made what to us was a kind of convention of political theater to make a strict pedagogy with charts and graphs and activities that is a way to do a certain kind of collaborative work. Um, There's a a manual that we made uh, that instructs you how to do the post-living anti-action theater. And in practice, we went around to many locations around the world and collaborated with um, different groups, sometimes artists, sometimes locals who aren't artists, sometimes students, sometimes other kinds of professionals. And in a span of a couple of weeks, we work through our principles and our exercises and create a performance together that is about performing the social space of that location. and each of the five principles, uh, they are estrangement, in, indistinction. indistinction,
3: mandate to participate, oh, suspension of beliefs, mandate, mandate to, to participate, participate. and uh, inspirational critique. Yes.
4: And each of the principles, which is, plays on some theater or art idea, Um, has a musical number that goes with it. And so that's the kind of most structured element. The rest of it is developed through improvisation. Yeah,
3: and games, right? So the system that we're working with is uh, theater games. So looking at things like Augusto Boal's uh, Theater of the Oppressed and the Arsenal that comes from that, as well as all kinds of different uh, structures for improvisation and play, but always with a mind toward the social and the political context that we're working in. These are some illustrations from the um, from the handbook um, that uh, d- sort of describe some of the games. One of these is uh, A Day in Utopia, um, where everyone in the circle sits together and adds on to the next person's narration of what happens in a day in a utopian uh, society, um, things like that. Um, so. After, it's interesting, we started this project around the same time you started your project because it's been, it was eight years since it started that we did the final polot, the final Post-Living Anti-Action Theater at the new museum where it began. And this was last fall during the election season uh, with the theme of democracy um, at the museum at the time and um, a, an interest on our parts to bring uh, people we had worked with together in different contexts um, uh, around the world, um, we had a Creative Capital grant that we decided would be best served bringing them to New York to meet each other, they'd never met each other, and sort of do a out All-Stars kind of thing. But we also made an exhibition that attempted to create a kind of uh, archive of sorts um, for a, a very kind of unwieldy um, performance project, um, So, which included this mural, um, which is uh, illustrates, it has a key that you look at, but it illustrates all of the different um, techniques and strategies and um, the exercises. Um, in the center, you see uh, suspension of beliefs, which is a an attempt to levitate people, but it's also, of course, a um, play on the suspension of disbelief. In the pullout, we don't ask that you pretend you're not really looking at what you're looking at, the way that theater convention works, but actually that you suspend your belief systems as a way to create... Um, the, the experience and the participation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we, these are images from that.
4: Mm-hmm. The exhibition also included a, um, it's like 80 minute uh, collection of how to do the um uh, which shows documentation from um, all of the different lot, uh performances along with kinds of didactic instructive texts that um, tell you why and how one would do these.
3: So we can look at one little sec- section that comes from, I believe this is an inspirational critique, isn't it?
4: Yeah. I think it was a part of inspirational critique yeah. when we did the Polot, um in Los Angeles with a group of um, young actors. And uh, it was 2012, I would say. And often, you know, we worked toward the skills of the group and this time it was actors and they were less good at sort of rolling around and being uh, in the moment and were very good at memorizing a script and learning blocking and executing that. They were
3: good at being in the moment, but they didn't, they actually rebelled against having a political position. It was really an interesting complication. It was not the same when we were working with like Mm -hmm. performance artists or even dancers, but they were actors and so they were trained not to have a position. So it was a situation where we had to work together to write a script for them to then take a position.
4: So this was a a short play called the life story of Barack Hussein Obama that we and this was around the time of the re-election in 2012 and This is compiled together And a kind of composite for the larger movie, which
3: was an instructional video well, yeah, Sasha
1: it's been a long day whatever happens you two will remain the luckiest black girls in the whole world <laughs>
4: Charles, we're
5: not going anywhere. Okay. <laughs> I am a son of a black man from Virginia, and a white woman born in
4: Kansas. Charles Gaines uh, on drums.
3: What color are people in Indonesia? Skin color. Like you yes. or like me? Like us. <laughs>
5: being
4: evasive. I've gone to some of the finest schools that lived in one of the poorest nations. I am married to a black
2: I'm looking for a church to go to here in Chicago.
5: Trinity United. Reverend Wright is the bar. Let me go.
2: if I told you.
5: <laughs> you could be like president of a of a Fortune 500 company or president of a university or
2: just president.
5: Exactly. You could be like the first African and American president. Mm. Why the fuck not? My white
4: grandmother. A woman Yeah, right. Uh, so those are the kinds of pieces that come out of these collaborative groups. Um, that's a pretty extraordinary one. Um, the installation included a lot of ephemera. There are um, uh, masks that go with each of the five principles. There are texts from scripts. There's uh, uh, videos that we made along the way, such as this um, ride on a boat on the Nile that became part of the project. and. Uh, and a lovely print.
3: Available in edition. Uh, yes,
4: the edition is available. <laughs> I'll take your address if you have a checkbook. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it shows the five principles and their icons.
3: So for the performance at the new museum, we did a, three performances. We're just going to show a couple of images from the final one because it sort of dovetails into the conversation around political speech and uh, and also this interest in Barack Obama that because the... The first poll out happened during the primary when it was Hillary versus Obama, and um, we were coming out of the Bush era, and we were becoming excited for a second about the possibility of democracy doing something surprising and potentially positive. Um, and, and Obama, sort of, you know, in many ways, em- was the emblem of that. Um, then the project ended with his, uh, the end of his. Um, terms and uh, we had three performances. One was during the campaign, one was like right before and it was a caucus, that piece was a caucus where we had the audience voting for a new national anthem. And then the third was right after the election, December, it was like a month after, right? So we brought all of these performers together, this group of people, you'll recognize actually Jasmine Uh, Dame Jasmine Hughes who played Michelle Obama uh, in this group but these are all people from different um, from all over the place who didn't know each other and we made a company a kind of community um, temporarily some people from outside the United States um, a lot of people from different parts of the country and different and different disciplines too: actors uh, people who play music a lot of dance people and um, and you know, we're processing um, all as minority subjects of some kind or another or displaced um, from their context, uh, processing what was happening. Um, And I'm really glad that we had that actually because we were all kind of losing our minds. Um, But, you know, part of the process was, uh, this was a game that we made up where we would write these different responses to the election um, and then try to make sort of dances and uh, scenes out of them. We'd pull them out of a hat um, and this is just some images from the, from the workshop process, um, just to give you a sense of what it looks like when we're working on the post-living anti-action theater. Um, and you know, thanks to the new museum for giving us the space, or uh, well, <laughs> they didn't give it, but um, <laughs> you know, for providing such a space uh, for us to, to, to do this kind of work. Because it was a process for us to figure out what it meant to work in groups and to try to make political work, even in the face of like a pretty crushing um, turn of events. Um, you know, while the piece is a lot of play, it also is a lot of discussion and um, and rewriting of texts and rewriting of scripts and also responding to texts and scripts. So these are some images from the actual performance where the audience is surrounding us, um, and you know we perform these different responses to. The political situation um, that we generated during the during the uh, rehearsal process, but the final performance very much is still a kind of rehearsal. And I think you know we think a lot about this idea from Bowal that that you know theater is a kind of rehearsal for the revolution. Uh, I think it's like it can function, it it can function as a rehearsal for all kinds of um, things, <laughs> not just revolution, but also just how to live. And the idea behind the post-living anti-action theater was actually that these are things that happen after you've lived an experience, um, but before you've taken action. So it's a kind of suspended space of contemplation and play um, as a means to, to try to understand what we can do next um, outside of the arena of the theater. So a lot of the, the bulk of this particular performance was made up of responses to uh, sort of famous... Uh, speeches of Obama's and also uh, a little bit of Michelle Obama's uh, words as well. So we would take the text and then develop them into songs and into plays and pieces. And then um, in the end, and, yeah. You
4: know, uh, people who are not American, right. you know, we were in this kind of moment of, oh no, what's happening, and this kind of romance that many of us have felt around the Obamas, who, you know, I really have nothing in common with <laughs> Barack Obama, really. Um, and a lot of People who weren't from the states were like, you, you need to get over this. Let's like, be serious about like, what um, uh, the United States is and does um, apart from your sort of identification with the black mm-hmm. president. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it was sort of dealing with that difficulty arc, kind of romance and mm-hmm. um, some sort of realism around that. Mm-hmm. Just leave you with this image. Um, this was our sort of final funeral for Obama's presidency.
3: Yeah, They're both so dark, dark. Those dark times, dark times.
4: We have a lot of really funny work
3: too. I know you do. <laughs> but it's funny because the first one of these was the costumes were like rainbow colored, and this <laughs> that was like pre-election, and then after we were like, no, everybody's wearing gray, <laughs> like, you know.
1: I mean, it's interesting in the earlier discussion that uh, Sandra and Thomas had this uh, this afternoon. You know, uh, Sandra pointed out that everything about the condition that we're in now didn't come from nowhere. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what you're saying, too, about these, you know, these uh, collaborators from out of the country Mm -hmm. saying to you, you know, like, Mm -hmm. wake the fuck up, look what happened during these eight years Mm -hmm. under this president in terms of foreign policy and the situation that Mm -hmm. we're in. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's very frustrating, Mm -hmm. actually, as an American who was with you in the (laughs) uh, rainbow-colored rehearsal, let's say, you know, um, to watch what has transpired over these years and to see how many people think that now we're at a point that's so much more uh, hopeless than two years ago or four years ago or eight years ago, you know. In fact, I think the most uh, disturbing thing is that there's so many similarities to the position that we were in during the first Bush administration. Um, I mean, just to set that, I mean, this is what
3: Which is when we started making work um, and became kind of mature as artists was in the face of the Bush administration. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that we needed to, and it was particularly being West Coast artists feeling a need to kind of represent a, an oppositional position to the kind of like Christian totalitarianism that was being proposed. Um, and as a gay, Couple that was about, you know, basically married, even though it was illegal at the time, <laughs> and all that. Love but anyways.
1: It. I wanted to ask a question. I mean, we, we spoke about several different ideas before our, our talk today, and one of the ideas that I was just thinking about um, maybe it shoots out from the side, which has to do with this idea of an intergenerational talk. I was, I was thinking about legacy and how you know this kind of like sanctified position of authority has often been linked to legacy and your right to to be here and you know to follow in in somebody's footsteps and so you know i wanted to think about legacy alongside the question that i posed to you over happy hour a few days ago <laughs> you know about what were the con- what's the difference in the context that might, uh, I I spoke to you about it too Charles, that might, uh, what I interpret as a kind of expressivity that's available to your generation that wasn't necessarily available in the same ways to your generation. Because I think there's so much in your work that ties back to your early career as a jazz drummer, your relationship to improvisation, to, systems which might not look like systems. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, that is, I think, key in, in music. Um, and then how, th- through visual arts, you were able to address such abstract and uh, conceptual ideas alongside content and alongside uh, subjectivity. And you know, I think that there's you know there's a real difference in the tools that were used, and so I wanted to see if we could talk a little bit about that. Then. These guys are all performers, so they can take the microphone off the oh, yeah, stand. Well, I can't
5: touch the. Microphone.
2: See what a good job I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, at the time uh, when I was, uh, you know, a young. Person, uh, the uh, and, and moving into the art world, there were, there, there was a, the the world at the time was really different, and and if I th- concentrate on the moment that, uh, of my entrance into the professional art world, you know, from from school into a, a practice, that's the the arena at that time was was really different from that same arena that existed for Alex and Malik, and uh, the. Uh, uh, so, there is, I mean, uh, you know, I have problems with this notion of legacy, but there is one way of thinking about it, uh, uh, that th- things that w- were hurdles and things that, that, I, that, that I had to struggle with at the time uh, th- actually didn't exist for them, but they had new hurdles, right? And uh, so, the, the state of the world for them, which I'm sure informs their practice, Uh, It's different from the the, the state that I had to to deal with. I I think there is something, this is what I was thinking, there's there's some kind of narrative that's probably fictional, uh, but uh, there's some kind of narrative you can can see that there was a hard-fought effort at establishing the legitimate place for a, a, a kind of cultural identity Within, uh, within the practice of art, because at the time that I was young, it, it, you know, you, it, that, that was refused, that the, 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 the maintaining and, 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 and even building a kind of uh, expressive practice that's, that you s- felt was linked to identity, uh, uh, for, for me was refused, and so I saw that as a struggle of trying to make the case, and, and uh, Which is, uh, which that part of the struggle, I don't think Alex and Malik had had to deal with. That that, uh, that is what I'm saying is that they didn't walk into a world where the idea of one's cultural space and one's identity was was just forbidden. And, uh, but, uh, I saw how they, uh, there was a natural flaw in terms of their practice of how a practice built out of you know certain concepts and ideas that they had about the world that not sort of formal ideas but also social ideas. Um, I, you know it is really true that that what how they managed to do that was instructive to me even a later part of my practice. You, you see, so so that's a kind of legacy. I, I, I said that I, I couldn't finish it. That is certainly true. I'm gonna cry. I'm like, well, I'm, all I've been doing is crying this fucking weekend. I don't, know, I don't know what the hell's going on. But it's it's really true that that uh, that working into manifestos the way I was able to sort of develop that you know, uh, and it's pretty much a really nasty question Malik asked me at one of my presentations. The way that I, <laughs> uh, the way that I uh, sort of sort of evolved into that piece. Uh, it, you know, there were a set of permissions that I began to understand, you know, from their practice, and you know. so I think in many ways, you know, I saved them from dealing with some bad shit, right? <laughs> uh, but I couldn't come to certain solutions without them.
4: That's really interesting. I, um, uh, you know, I of course, you know. Alex met Charles 25 years ago, and I met Charles, you know, <laughs> 43 years ago. And <laughs> I grew up with you know, the work around the house and Charles's work, but also the work of Solowitt, who was a friend and supporter of Charles's. So we had these, you know, nice Solowitt prints around the house. And anyone who's an only child knows that you just sit around staring most of your childhood, just like staring into space. And I looked at this work a lot as a very young person. And I also saw Charles in his studio. And this is someone, you know, still to this day, wakes up before I do, goes to bed after I do. This is a hardworking person. (laughs) And I grew up seeing Charles in his studio, just drawing numeral after numeral, after line, after line, after like hour upon hour. Um, and looking at that systems based work, I, this isn't really what any of those artists were trying to do, but I read a lot of affect around it. I saw it as an attempt to sort of reduce gestures and extraneous, you know, like subjective, uh, marks and kind of the, kind of, uh, you know narcissistic part about being an artist and spewing that all over the place I saw this as a really like you know attempt to l- limit the way an artist can make an image by deciding on a system but that system in the end to me was like an irony it was like a good it was like a really good joke I was like oh how funny that you would spend all of this time drawing a million lines to try and Show every relationship that a circle, a parallelogram, and a trapezoid can have with each other, and in the end, that just redirected me to the artist and their effort and the sort of failure of rational systems, uh, you know, at large. <laughs> I thought that Charles's work, which you know, when I finally was old enough to explain this to him, he's like, "Ah, that wasn't what I was going for." <laughs> I thought that like the attempt to grid the tree was just a sort of overblown kind of proof that a kind of rational compartmentalization of a natural phenomenon is always a failure. (laughs) And instead it produced this beautiful thing, this thing that I thought was like a beautiful aesthetic object. And so I thought there was a really interesting like play there. So so one part of the legacy of growing up around systemic art for me, was um, putting all this other stuff in it, the kind of um, things that slip out of the sides that come back through subjectivity. And you know, I guess my own comfort with having a self and a <laughs> point of view and an identity, I was able to see that in there. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I, I can say more about legacy over drinks. I mean, I, I used to, uh, you know, to, I'll hand it over and it's good, but you know, uh, Charles has done a lot of work over a very, uh, so many years, like no, but has worked very consistently making a lot of really incredible studio art work uh, for a very long time. And you, you, would, you would admit that during some of those years, not everyone was caring a whole lot. <laughs> during other years, you know, it was like celebrated, right? <laughs> so I used to uh, be very, uh, feel a lot of responsibility toward like, um, and not just me, um, um, Charles's students, important students like you know, Rodney McMillan and Edgar Arsenault, and you know, we all were like going out there you know, proselytizing the Charles Gaines story, and a lot of the reasons that um, there was a sort of hole in the middle there were uh, racist reasons, I think it's pretty clear. Um, but now I, it's not my job anymore. This ship has sailed. He's the most <laughs> famous artist I know and uh, I don't have to do any more work on that uh, account. So the, the legacy is taken care of. Wow.
3: <laughs> I mean, I, I feel you know very lucky to have met Malik when I did and then to have met Charles when I did um, at uh, 18 years old. Just moved to LA and my perspective on what art was was very much a kind of regional, San Diego, r- who grew up, you know, in a m- kind of Chicano scene with lots of murals and stuff like that, and I knew the Aztec calendar pretty well. But um, you know, a Frida Kahlo, <laughs> but and a, who I love, but you know, but but seeing conceptual art in somebody's house and then being in it first, of course, really in a very Oedipal way, kind of like, no, where's the <laughs> color? Like, I can't. Um, and then really learning what it, what it was and having, a, you know, another father um, who was an art father, um, but also a real dad, you know. So, I, you know, uh, I, for me, it, it's hard to separate these things out. I mean, later I learned art history and figured out that actually this is the way it's supposed to go, that there is, like, this kind of paternalistic structure of like the father figure that gets rejected by the younger artists. You know. And one thing I'll say for the relationship I think between us, but also maybe generationally thinking about other artists in my generation and the way that I've related to artists from Charles's generation is really more of continuity than rupture, that we see a project that we're all working on from different perspectives. And this may have to do with the, the fact that we can take into account our own subjectivities, our own identifications. Um, as a way to understand what we can contribute to this this project that we're all a part of, um, but for me, it it has been very much, um, you know, an, an honor to be a part of a legacy that uh, that has such a kind of um, rigor and uh, and is, I think, you know for the betterment (laughs) of humanity, which has always been sort of the goal, right? Now, that's to say that every one of our pieces betters humanity. And one of the things we've learned from the (laughs) Polat is that it didn't actually save us um, from where we are, right? So that makes it even more important, I think, that we maintain this sense of continuity. And I think about other people who've come in to be kind of art art parents for us, Eleanor Anton and Mary Kelly, you know, and so it's, but that's very different. This is a family thing. You know, and so it, it's, yeah. And then just on a very basic level, like what Malik's talking about, these racist reasons, like they do affect us in different ways. And it's, you know, it's all about the kind of structures that we know that we face and trying to be cultural producers in this system that we're in and making work that isn't necessarily commercial. Um, you know, uh, Charles has also kind of coached us through a lot of these weird um, moments, you know, so I'm happy that we were a positive influence back. I think we said, "Yeah, it's okay to pr- it's okay to perform, you know, <laughs> and make music." But we're the only ones who use his jazz skills. He doesn't like whenever we we're always like, "Come on, play drums on this." And yeah, do it. He can do it.
1: Yeah. I've seen it. I think uh, you know I'm going to jump in here on the the legacy tip or the you know thinking about the inheritance and the importance of that because as you know the reason that I know Malik and and Alex is because uh, when I was trying to write my dissertation I came across you know on the remains shelves at Moe's bookstore a copy of Theater of Refusal and it changed my entire understanding of how I could write about. Issues of identity politics in as they occur in visual art, and you know the, the theater of refusal was an exhibition that was done at UC Riverside, Irvine, uh-huh. Irvine originally, um, by Catherine Lord and Charles, and this, there's this, you know, beautiful series of essays, uh, you know, about the racist reaction to the Whitney Biennial in 1993, and also the the possibilities of Uh, black post-modernity in relation to the Deleuze and Guattari. And if you've never read this, go find it and, you know, get some coffee and take your time because that is no easy essay to get through. But, you know, Charles became such an influence um, for uh, for me and understanding how we could think about these questions that have no answer you know, the questions that perpetuate over time and that, you know, we uh, we place in the center of our work and they continue to go to the margins and come back to the center and, and fuel us, you know, for the entirety of our intellectual lives. And so this is how, you know, I think Charles also, you know, hooked me into the centrifugal force of his universe. And, you know, luckily through that I, I met you guys and around, you know... Uh, Interestingly enough, around the discussion of the so-called post-black, mm-hmm. um, when Freestyle came to Los Angeles ten years later, uh, you roped me into a very large panel discussion about post-blackness, mm-hmm. um, and I I try to you know I think that was almost 15 years ago mm-hmm. that we were having a battle of semantics of whether or not there was a position called post there you know whether there was something was post-blackness, and look where we are today. Mm-hmm. And it, so it is true that we're we are not advancing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But then, when I look at you know the work of young artists, mm-hmm. and when I look at your work, I think you know even if uh, uh, politically we cannot necessarily control the the environment around us, mm-hmm. our capacity to respond to it. Is so much more sophisticated, and it's you know, and this is the learning back and forth. I think that Charles is talking about, which is, you know, super interesting to me.
2: Yeah, I thought. I mean, one of the things that I discovered working on the Manifesto series, and um, principally because uh, that re- that series requires a lot of research. And, uh, so I re- researched political documents, you know, every, every from. To contemporary documents uh, to documents that are five six six hundred years old, and in many in, in many in some of the contexts and manifestos those documents sit side by side, even though they may be separated by a couple of hundred years and you know, and, and came up with this depressing thought that nothing changed you know uh, the, the, the 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 nature of the political problems uh, uh, well the the the, the, politi- the the problems of the problems of Humanity, uh, you know, seem to continuously resurface, so that and I can look at a 17th-century document that's that's dealing uh, with uh, the, you know, the the, the, the a certain phallocentric you know, structures that constrain women, and, and find those same problems existing in a contemporary document. And the politics of resistance building up around that. The manifestos were constitutively, you know, sort of uh, theor- you know, theories of action and resistance. Uh, and so I, I was trying to th- think about that and, and uh, trying to make that make sense. And especially when you're talking about this issue of legacy, about uh, how is a the history then formed if it's not this sort of Nietzschean sort of going back and forth, you know, just like a, 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 a it's uh, a yo-yo or, or uh, you know, what do you call those things? Uh, seesaw. Yeah, seesaw. And, 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 when, when, and what I thought and, 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 and I guess my own personal history with these guys is a, is a testimony to that, uh, was that the, that aspects of those problems do get, get solved and they may have permanent manifestations in various parts of the world. But they're not solved in terms of the world. That, that they b- become solved for a very few people. And, and there is no m- moment where they are constitutively solved on a, on a global scale. Uh, so there is a kind of seesaw, but it, it's, a, it's a kind of rhizome that keeps moving uh, 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 you know, historically through parts of the of the uh, of the world. I mean, it's it's a very, you know, weird, and and actually sort of a pessimistic thought a, a, about it. But if you're lucky enough to be in a place, of privilege, uh, which in relationship to Alex and Malik, I find myself, uh, I can see a great move forward in terms of art practice. You know, from to where I was. You know, and, and I said this is a very slimly. Um, uh, uh, defined narrative that only a few people get a chance to experience but, and you can't, I think you can't extrapolate globally like Europe, European thought wants to, you know, but you, you can't ex- extrapolate globally whatever the, the thing is. So, uh, that, that is, anyway, that's, that seems another aspect of legacy that we can talk about. I mean, this is but this is something that I, a series of thoughts I had as a consequence of working with with that Manifestal series. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you want to say something? Or should, should we ask questions? I think we should maybe see if there's somebody who wants to ask a question from the audience and we can go back and forth a little. Do we have time? Mm-hmm. Ten more minutes. Ten more minutes. Does, is, there a microfo- is there any questions? Maybe there's not. Mm-hmm. Or comments?
3: Do you want us to do a number? <laughs>
1: I was trying to get them to teach us like, you know, political show tunes, but. Mm-hmm. Are there any questions out there? It's very hard for us to see. Mm-hmm. Maybe, right? Um, do you want to make a comment? I mean,
4: I, there's just one thing I'm thinking about that's uh, important for me in your work as you're describing this and the kind of, um, you know, our work tends to focus on really specific conditions. A project we're doing is about a certain kind of space, a certain history, or a certain kind of um, social problem or political problem, and performing that in one way or another. Um, I think... I, I appreciate in your work that you never really abandoned representation as a condition, even though you're coming out of this um, legacy of conceptualism, some of your contemporaries would be more drawn to kind of like minimalist strategies. Um, and you use a lot of those, but there is this, and your, you know, the, in your later work, the way you talk about language very specifically using certain kinds of language theories uh, attests to this, that the actual specific problem of representation is still always present in your work, even when it moves towards um, sort of isolating those representations out of the kind of flow of, uh, the mess of everything else in signification. And um, that's important to me. And I think that, uh, you know, so our, our histories of abstraction, of minimalism, of, of you know, reduction, all of these things sometimes uh, can evacuate the political problem that always attends representation. Is it black or is it post-black? I don't know, it's a crisis. You know, (laughs) like once we're in that space, it's always a problem. Um, And I think that you have left that at the core of a practice that also has really used some of these other kinds of reductions and repetitions and uh, strategies uh, to put space around that. I think that's really important.
2: I was wondering if you, uh, would come in, I mean I had a, 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 a thought that especially with regard to representation that what what you guys do seem to um, you seem to uh, you know there's a particular critique or attack of, of certain ideas of representation as mm-hmm. they become manifested institutionally and and, and and in a way would you say that you Uh, Unpack that institution. In in, in other words, you you raise these questions of representation by sort of dismantling Mm -hmm. or exposing the institution that 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 is responsible for the representation itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it is, then you know. I mean, this is there's a real connection here because I mean that's that's a part of 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 my interest, but I'm not sure I I got there. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think well, we you know we. Maybe one one of those things that you mentioned at the beginning that sort of dif- differentiates our sort of generational entry point was that this notion of performativity already existed when we came into this. And we, we I was in like the first queer theory class at UCLA and that was like the foundation of it, you know? And so, um, you know, I think about that question of representation, but I also think about it in terms of like the perform performance of, of the institution, right? And because we work in performance and we work with bodies of people, um, there will always be a person represented, or people, or a group. And in that, we can deconstruct what it is that makes it possible to perform that thing, you know, whether it's, um, you know, interfacing directly with, like, the museum, which we've done in a couple of instances, or trying to break down just larger sort of questions of how a group gets built in the first place, or how you it create a group identity. And in order to to figure out how that works, you do have to take it apart, you know? And so it is always about a kind of representation of the structure. Um, I mean, I think it's one place that I'm really interested in thinking about connections and difference is around how we use play to do that so often. Um, And I think about your work as work which isn't to say that our play isn't a lot of work, because it's kind of nightmarishly worky, yeah. <laughs> but it's like laborious play. But, it, but play is a sort of way in which we you know, have created a process that is in and of itself built on system. You can't play a game unless it has rules. You know? um, and, uh, but at the same time, that's how we deconstruct so much is through this kind of play. Um, and I'm wondering about maybe in your work, particularly in terms of the performance work, you know, people are playing instruments. I, I get so hung up on like rhymes and like <laughs> assonance and the like, same word, but um, they're playing instruments, you know, but I wonder about this relationship to, to play, to how improvisation is sort of removed in a way from the manifesto series um, and how you think about that in terms of producing a kind of um, affect. I guess in the end, too. And whether that has, I mean, in terms of representation or in terms of any kind of like critical relationship, how that works, um, this production of a kind of affect through the labor that you've, you know, that you put your, that you set yourself to. Like when I heard the Deep River song, I'm sad. I don't know, I'm like moved, you know. And I know that you've always sort of turned that around and you're like, that's you. <laughs> you were moved. But I'm wondering about like how you, p- <laughs> Yeah, were you moved?
1: He he just just forces, like, objectivity. He just tells us. There's no emotion.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, that whole thing is that I I actually believe there's such a thing as subjectivity. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm not against it. But the issue of play, I mean, uh, there's a play, I mean... And it's again and I give a talk, like people believe about ten percent of what I say, <laughs> but this is really true i mean in the moment because when i when I write those scores, I don't know what those things are going to sound like and and there's a there's a real revelatory, playful moment there are two moments of play, the actual execution of 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 the the, the relationships and i you know I call it. Maybe I said, I'm making this up right now. From your really good question, that I'm operating, uh, I'm playing with a set of rules. Uh, it's, it's really not performative in terms of my production, but uh, but in in execution, it's the kind of play. So I'm playing, and feel, and it actually feels like play, and it feels like play because I, I think I'm uh, operating in a kind of indeterminate field. Uh, 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 you know where I'm sort of unbounded. You know. Uh, uh, and then, then when we perform it, that moment of hearing is is, is the same kind of uh, play. I mean, it's it's a uh, I, 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 it's different from yours, but it it, it does uh, uh, it it is I think um, in a, in the big in the larger picture a, a consequence of a, a certain kind of similar element of play in the execution of, of, the, of those installations themselves. I mean, there's the laborious part, you know, that, uh, and, and, and interestingly enough, uh, you know, because when I, when I talk about this, the, the, that experience that you call play is a kind of expressive moment that a lot of people says challenges what I'm asserting about subjectivity, you know, because they can't reconcile that playfulness with arbitrariness, you know, and and uh, uh, and, and so the thing that, that, that I'm actually searching for is the very thing that convinces people, some people, that uh, you know that that I'm you know that I'm misreading what I'm doing.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> no one has any questions.
2: We were, we were fun, weren't we? We're not, we're not exactly. We're not, not exactly. We're not exactly
4: fun. And you were right that we should have brought wine for everyone. I told you.
1: We want to thank, I want to thank Charles and Malik. It's always such a pleasure, and Alex, to hear you know, the way they go... They talk like this when they're frying bacon, just so that you know. They talk like this when we're drinking. They talk like this sitting outside. They always talk like this with
4: Amy Goodman playing in the background. But it's always
1: fascinating because I think there, you know, there there are these uh, parts of the conversation that even after all these years continue to unfold. I mean, Mm -hmm. yesterday Charles and I were like Charles said there might be an aesthetic gap. Between us, you know, Just he said, one. "Ask them." I mean, a, Malik essentially answered the question, but he said, "Ask them what they thought of my work when they were young," <laughs> because he said, "I don't, I don't think they kind of, they didn't get it," you know. Well he was, was also
3: making work about serial killers and stuff, like, and <laughs> so it was like so you don't really want to really get pushing it. us, I was, uh, but I get it now. I like it now. <laughs>
1: But th- I think that was the, the question of yeah. like what the perception of a generational difference was. Mm-hmm. And I think what's so interesting is that if there was an aesthetic gap, or if there is an aesthetic gap now, uh, to me the works are actually manifest in a very related way. And so I do think of you, your practices as being so
2: intertwined.
3: Well, what did he think of ours when he first saw it? I mean, it was well, pretty I mean, messy.
2: That's, that's easy. I mean, I, I I remember the first uh, collaborative song you guys did, and from then on, I thought these these guys are geniuses. (laughs) I've seen seen Charles watch you with the
1: dad, proud dad. Yeah, but it's
2: not a proud dad thing. I mean, they're really geniuses. No, I'm not kidding. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, it's, I'm the. W- I sh- it's, you shouldn't hear it coming out of my mouth because you think I'm compromised. But, it's but he's really a systems
1: true. guy, so yes. He, <laughs> <laughs> he the ran the numbers on this, and he's figured
3: it out. But yeah, that's a
1: mathematical assessment. Yeah, exactly.
4: Thank you for the system.
1: Thanks everybody can, can for being. I, can oh, I just say one,
4: thing, so. one last thing. I mean, I was fortunate to grow up in this way, but let me tell all you young people that. <laughs> Here's an example of someone who had an idea, decided sometime in the 60s that I, as a young black person from New Jersey, should be a conceptual artist, and I'm going to make that work, (laughs) stuck with it, did the work every day for decades, and then is, you know, getting a lot of uh, support for that at this point, and I... To me, that's just a very inspiring story. And, of course, we all know people who work and work and work and don't uh, get rewarded for it. But there are these cases like Charles who really deserve it. <laughs> and so it's like stick with your thing.
1: <laughs> and Keep... don't get cynical. <laughs> Is that what you tell yourself every day? Well, no, I, I'm
4: always ready to give up. But, you know.
1: but then there's Charles. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> that, that's my uh, emotional advice for everyone based on my life experience. Thank you, guys.
1: Have a great day. Thank you
5: so much.
0: Thank you so much. We'll continue tomorrow with two other sessions where we'll we'll be looking at uh, the multiple uh, ways of uh, using the body and talking about the body in art.